this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guest, John Beatty. Thank you for being here, John. Welcome to the show. Joe and TJ, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys having me on. Excellent. This month, we are focused on resilience and how leaders must possess this quality to be effective. We're very excited to have John on our podcast. This podcast features a great leader who provides key insights in the leadership topic for a particular month. John's achievements are nothing short of remarkable, and we are in awe of many of his accomplishments, particularly, though, how he has transformed all of what he has done into a desire to inspire and teach kids critical success strategies. Um, it's just awesome, and we're inspired by it. His book, Climb On, Success Strategies for Teens, is a must-read in school. His work speaks to us as educators particularly because we know that in our pursuit to educate children, we have to take time and also teach them how to navigate life and develop life skills. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a little more about John? Sure thing. Thanks, Joe. Our guest this month is John Beatty. As Joe just said, he's an adventurer and he is struck. He has been struck by lightning, attacked by a five-foot iguana, and he once did the hokey pokey in the eye of a hurricane, which is awesome. It's he's been swimming with hammerheads, great white sharks, whale sharks, and he was even trapped in the Indonesian jungle between warring tribes and the world's largest gold mine. His travels have taken him to 56 countries and every continent, including Antarctica. John is an expert on peak performance and leadership, which is why we have him on the show today. Many of his lessons that he's learned while pursuing his life's biggest dream, which was reaching the summit of Mount Everest. After two months of climbing, nine months of full-time preparation, and 17 years of mountaineering, he planted his trusty ice axe into the summit of Mount Everest. Subsequently, he was featured on TV 60 Minutes and media outlets across the globe. He is not sponsored. All of his funding is from expeditions and comes from building and selling his own companies. Additionally, he has authored two books, including Climb On, Success Strategies for Teens, which Joe mentioned earlier, and the mini manual for becoming super awesome, which we love. Together, they have sold over 50,000 copies. We're thrilled to have John here with us today. So, okay, John, let's talk about this idea of resilience as a key quality necessary to navigate the difficult terrain of leadership as you have done. You've endured and conquered some of the most difficult and harsh conditions known to man. How can leaders develop resiliency and learn how to thrive and lead in harsh conditions, not necessarily on a mountain, but perhaps in a boardroom, in a business, or in a school? We want to hear anything that you might have to say about being resilient, leadership, and facing difficult challenges. That's such a great question, and the, the context that you put it in, that it's not just about on mountains, is key. So if anybody listens to this and thinks, all that guy did was talk about mountaineering, 
you haven't, you, you missed the point, right? So this is uh, in the boardroom, this is in the classroom, this is in your family life, this is in uh, everyday living. So to the question, resilience. The first key is to change your concept about what resilience is. I think that many people kind of think of resilience as just being tough and you gotta grit it out and somebody's gonna come up and punch you a whole bunch and then if you're tough enough, you can withstand those punches, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not that to me. Resilience is being in the thick of a storm on a mountain and being at peace. So it's, it's not about gritting, it's about allowing. Um, and I think that emotional awareness is the key to making this uh, a reality. Here's what I mean by this. If you're in a boardroom and something is said or something happens that upsets you, rather than gritting and thinking, oh, I just take all this brunt from everybody and I never get things to go my way. Rather than that, instead, acknowledge that, hey, that didn't go my way. Be at peace with that. And then rather than draining yourself with this idea that I have to fight against this, I have to grit, I got to be tough, I got to be resilient. Instead of that feeling, change it to, now I just be present with where I am, I'm calm, I'm going to take a new and different approach. I think that's how you can gain energy. And that to me is a better picture of resilience than this. I'm beaten down and I just have to withstand everything idea. John, that's such a different look or perspective than many of us, at least in Western culture, are familiar with that we have to bear down, grit your teeth, face adversity head on. What you're describing, um, is more absolutely with mindfulness and this notion of, of accepting, you know, events as if it's not happening directly to you, but just happening and learning to master those situations. How did you learn to deal with situations like this? What were your influences? And could you also speak a little bit to how did you come about doing that? You know, that's a hard thing. And I know that's a pursuit throughout life to be able to step back away from very difficult situations to gain proper perspective, not feel like you're being assaulted at the time, and then really pursue a course to solve it uh, with, a, with a clear mind. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up that word mindfulness. You know, it's a, it's a buzzword nowadays, so I'm hesitant to sometimes use it, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, on the mountains, Nuru Gyalzen Sherpa was his name. He's who guided me on Mount Everest. Every day that we would start was a, a routine that he sent himself through. So we wake up usually around 1230 in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, because we want to be going up through the most dangerous parts of Everest while it's coldest. That way the ground is as secure as it will be. It'll be more frozen. And he would begin his days by initially not talking to me, not interacting with me at all. And this threw me off at first. But what he would do is he would repeat a chant to himself, over and over. And he was meditating, essentially. He's asking the mountain for safe passage. He would also eat before he ever interacted with me. He would hydrate before he ever interacted with me. Um, and he would usually spend about half an hour of walking before he would tell me what the day's plan was. He set himself right first. 
So to bring this into something that's relevant to us, what, what Nuru did was create a, a daily ritual or a, a routine for himself. Very simple. All four of those concepts are very easy. The first one is meditation and hydration and fueling or eating. And then finally, a little bit of exercise, getting your heart going. I'm a huge, huge proponent of every person that's a leader having their daily routine so that they fill their own cup first. That way, when they're asked, of, they're asked to, to give or to be a leader of some sort, it's not coming from a place of depletion. It's coming from a place of overfilling from your cup. You're, just, you're so full because you've gone through this routine on your own that there's plenty of extra to give. There's a concept as well called big mind and little mind. And this is, this is a mindfulness idea. Big mind is the one that can look down on your, your own angry little self in that board meeting that we used in the example earlier and say, like I would say, oh, hey, look, John is, John's getting upset down there. Little mind is the one that's in that upset state. Oh my gosh, things aren't going my way. That's little mind. Big mind says, hey, look at that. Now look at these five or six other options of where to go from here. If you've had your routine, like Nuru taught me, you have your four-step daily routine, and then you can embrace that big mind, seeing things as they're happening, but not reacting in the moment to them as the big mind does, you're going to be so much more resilient because you'll be like a, ju uh, a judo uh, martial artist rather than a, a Muay Thai fighter. Judo martial art artists just take the energy that's coming to them and they redirect it, right? Muay Thai fighters, they grit, they punch, they kick, and they get beat up quickly. <laughs> they don't have long careers. That's powerful, John. Very powerful. Love the, the different. Now, I, I've never heard it quite said about the big mind versus little mind. I, I really like that analogy um, to create this, this picture. Um, let's move on to our next segment. I, our listeners are going to respond to that greatly. We also just had someone, a guest of ours not too long ago, really talk to us in the same vein um, that we've enjoyed tremendously. Um, so before we, we go to the next, uh, to the this next, next segment, next segment. Just, this is our five one thing tool. Yeah. So just a tool to help with this. Absolutely. Concept. Uh, the, there's an app. It's a free app. I'm not getting paid to promote this, but it's called Headspace. There's a 10 day free guided meditation that kind of teaches you this concept of embracing the, the big mind and, and watching the little mind. Headspace is what it's called. It's on every, every app store and Google play and on um, iTunes. Yeah, that's great. I actually, I use uh, Headspace. Um, I love the little, it'll give you also uh, reminders throughout the day, which, Absolutely. I, which I love because sometimes you do get lost throughout your day. Um, actually, Pat Croce, I had the pleasure of talking to him, um, former owner of the Sixers, um, just a, a great guy, full of energy. He was the first one to introduce me to Headspace. So thanks for, for sharing that. Um, I it. agree. It's a great app, a great app. All right, let's get, let's get into this one thing series. Who is one person, John, or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration, and where could we find them? So I have a little bit of a sneaky answer to this, and the group, I guess I would say, is the group of mountains. <laughs> um, if you look at how mountains inspire, Moses went to the mountain to, to, to approach God. Jesus did the same thing. It's where wise men come down from, right? They come down from mountains. So my group of people is mountain guides. 
Um, and if you can meet a mountain guide or hire a guide to take you up one of the many mountains that are in the United States, Canada, or even go overseas, go climb Mount Kilimanjaro with me, um, or to go to Everest Base Camp, you will learn so much more about yourself just from the mountain than I think you would from any guru or individual person or motivational figure who's out there. Because mountains have a way of teaching you what you need to learn in that moment. So, John, that's a great, that's an awesome thing. So, one thing that we like to uh, share with folks is that Joe and I, our business was built on the trails of white clay because we did so much great thinking on um, hikes and runs that we started to do right and runs. And so, we would often go out into the trails and we would find peace there. We didn't have guides and we certainly weren't climbing mountains, but we have heard from a lot of leaders that nature really is a place where um, you can do this mindfulness thing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you build that into your day or week? Like how often do you do climbing or the physical act of it or the being in the presence of nature? Like how do you make that a priority for yourself so that, um, so that you know, the days and weeks and the grind doesn't take over? That's an awesome question. Um, I like to try and aim for four days a week, five days a week of being outside of some sort. Whether, even if it's a 10-minute jog um, or something that's longer, like an actual climb. Um, but, you know, like you said, the grind sometimes seems to take over. So what I like to do is mix it up uh, as far as my activities. So a, a week will usually look like 10 or 20-minute jog around a, a beautiful part of whatever town I'm in. I try and get into a rock climbing gym if I can't go um, out. In, into nature to climb. I'll go swimming in a, in a pool for you know, 30, 40 minutes on another day. I'll get in a yoga class or a kickboxing class um, on, uh, on the fourth day. And by keeping it varied, it keeps me excited and entertained and ready to, uh, to, uh, to have that moment of Zen, as John Stewart says. <laughs> That's great. Those are very, very awesome strategies that our uh, listeners will get a, a, a bunch from. Now, you travel a lot. So in your travels, do you set that up ahead of time? Or how do you know that you're going to be able to get into a pool or you're going to be able to take that um, yoga class or the climbing wall? I mean, the 20-minute jog is one thing, but some of those other things, uh, I, I imagine, take some planning. Is that, is that true or somebody figures that out for you? It's 100% true, and I've got two kind of, actually I have three tricks here. So the first trick is um, to book hotels that have uh, good workout facilities, even at a surcharge. The reason for this is if it's a large barrier to entry to get into the gym, you're just not gonna go. Um, I also book flights that can put me in at times that I know I'll still have the energy to actually get in a workout. If I arrive at 11.30 or 12.30 at night, I just know I'm not gonna go to work out. So I value, it comes down to valuing myself in this regard. That's the first tip. Second tip, um, there's an app called seven minute workout. Um, they're awesome workouts. They're great. They don't require any weights at all. Um, and, um, if I don't have a gym nearby, I'll throw that app on. And even right there in the room, I'll just pound on the person's, you know, their, their ceiling below me as I'm doing my, my burpees. <laughs> um, and the last tip then is, um, I take my running shoes with me on every trip that I go on. And when I go to sleep at night, I put my running shorts, my shirt, my shoes laid out in front of me so that I literally have to get out of the bed and step into the shoes. Almost like I'd be, I'd be 
lying to myself if I didn't put the shoes on. You know what I mean? Because I, I fall out of bed and there it is, there it is, ready to go. That's the easiest way to, to, to get moving is to have that real simple uh, uh, set of clothing there ready for you. Thank you for sharing that. Those tips are certainly something that we can put in place as leaders right away in terms of traveling and holding ourselves accountable. And I, I think that really is the message there. It's a core value. You put it at the forefront and you hold yourself accountable to it. So thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, our second question is, is what's the one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? I think that when a lot of people look at new situations, they predict the outcome. And that's where fear comes from. If you think you're going to go, you're going to go give a speech, you worry about what people's reactions are going to be. Or if you have to approach a new skill set that you don't quite know what it is. If you went into a dance class, for example, if you had any fear about going to a dance class, it's because you're worried about what other people are thinking. So the one thing that people should try on a regular basis that will make a difference in their life is instead of that, that natural tendency that we all have of a, advanced self-criticism for things that haven't even happened yet. Instead, adopt a sense of childlike curiosity. Hey, what will this feel like in my body if I move it like this? And I don't care what somebody else is going to think about it in, in the dance example. Hey, if I have to go give this speech, that'll be curious if I try this story. I think it's hilarious. Let's see if other people think it's hilarious on stage. I'm just curious. So it takes out the judgment that we all have of ourselves, of our future self, which isn't even real. You know, our, our future selves haven't even existed yet. That's just our idea of what may or may not happen. But if you can become like a kid where you're not worried about the opinions of other people and you're just curious to see what happens, that'll make a massive difference in your life. John, I really like how you just mentioned curiosity as the base of that and not necessarily confidence. Absolutely. Um, Brendan Burchard's a big fan of just saying that line straight up, like, don't be confident or don't have, uh, uh, Tony Robbins says, uh, you need to have um, security and insecurity, I think are the two. Do you guys know what those are? The first two human needs that Tony Robbins says? Yeah, I think, I think that's on the level what you were just saying that you have to have security. And, and I think it's, TJ helped me out here, but it's also, um, do you know the second it's funny, too, because we're big Tony Robbins fans. Yeah, I'm blanking. But anyway, the, the concept is like having surety, certainty. That's it. Certainty. Yeah, certainty and security. That's it. So, so Brandon Burchard comes in. He's like, don't worry about having certainty. Have curiosity. Uh, he says that, that that's straight up, that, that obvious. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that. And I think that also allows people, confidence is something that we get, you know, through having these actions of doing things more than we build confidence, but we're born curious. So I love that. So thank you. What's one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you don't do already? And just, just so everybody knows too, listening, I mean, you've, you've hiked, you know, the tallest mountains on each continent. I saw the video of the plane taking off from Antarctica. You've done phenomenal things and people can check your YouTube videos out. They're amazing. So what's one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you haven't already or don't already? Uh, the adventure side of me says, I want to sail. I want to learn how to sail around the world. I can sail little boats, but uh, I'd, love, I'd love to live on a boat and cross the, the giant oceans. 
then the, the not adventurous side, well, actually it is an adventure is I'd like to be an, a dad. It's just a different style of an adventure. Um, and I don't know how to be a parent, but that's one thing that I would really love to do someday. That's great. Hopefully you'll have the opportunity to do both of those and maybe even both of them together, right? Having <laughs> yeah. kids on a boat. That would be amazing. So John, what's the one thing for our fourth question, the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others can replicate? I, I believe that one of the best um, ideas that I embrace is that I don't know everything. I read, I study, I ask people about them. I'm open to being wrong. Yeah, I trust my judgment, but I'm also... Um, I, I'm also available to learn more. The minute you say, I know what's going on, or I know how to do this, or I've been at this job for 40 years. Don't tell me what to, whatever amount of years, don't tell me how to do it. That's when you're no longer growing. That's when you've killed any opportunity for growth. So that concept of realizing that there is more out there that you don't know than there is that you do know, uh, is I think something that would just help every person in the planet immensely. Absolutely. And that goes right along that whole notion of humility and just realizing that this is a vast, vast world and, and we're specs, not to put it bluntly, but um, we're, we're along for the ride. John, what's the one thing you used to think that you don't anymore? I used to think that setting goals was enough and then that reaching those goals was the measurement and the ultimate metric for success. I don't think that's the case any longer. I think that goals still, yeah, absolutely, are incredibly important and everybody should have their goals and you should work towards them with unbelievable levels of, of passion and resilience and all these, these buzzwords. But if you think that standing on your goal and celebrating is the ultimate achievement, um, I think that that's short-sighted. I used to believe that, but then I realized that if a climber goes up a mountain and they're a jerk and they come back down, they're still going to be a jerk. They're going to be more of a jerk. In fact, <laughs> if they go up as a nice person and a team player, they're going to come back down more of a nice person and as a team player. Um, so it's a, I think that it's about, like they say, it's about the journey and not the destination is the easy way to say this, but it's, I climb mountains because of who I become in the journey. So um, thinking about growth and connection, as opposed to standing on top of the summit is what I aim for. Thank you for sharing that, John. I mean, the, the, the thing about growth and the thing about connection here as we wrap up really is the essence of leadership and leading others and getting better as a person. I mean, this has just been an awesome interview. The simplicity that you've brought to the questions and things that our listeners can put in place are the key to this uh, for us and for our followers. We always say that leadership is complex, but it certainly doesn't have to be complicated. So we thank you for the simple strategies and uh, the, the psychology that you bring to, to leading. Is there anything else, John, that you would like to add today for, for our listeners? Um, I think that if you can think back on this interview right now, in this moment, think about everything that we were talking about, there's probably one thing that you're thinking, man, that was a great idea. I want to implement that in my life. Commit to implementing that. 
you know, I, I'm sharing what I know. You guys share what you know. But it's not entertainment that we're doing here. We're, we're sharing these strategies so that people can make real differences in their lives. So pick one thing that stuck out to you. Commit to making that part of your new reality, whether it's coming up with your own routine for yourself or having a big mind versus a little mind um, or, or whatever stuck out to you, own that. Um, that's the last thing I'd like to say. If people want to uh, hear anything more from me, there's a couple options or ways to continue to be in touch. The first one is through my website. Uh, climbonsuccess.com is for my youth speaking and everestmotivator.com is for uh, corporate events. Um, and if anyone wants to have me out as a speaker, they're welcome to. But at those websites, there's a free audiobook that you can uh, go put in your email address, and then I'll email you a free, a free audiobook. Well, thank you for that as well. And uh, there you have it, John Beattie. Um, we will link back to all those things when the show goes live, John, so that our guests can get to you quicker. Um, and we feel like this was another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog, the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, all on the topic of leadership. Today, we're going to commit. Joe and I are going to model that by making a commitment to follow some of John's advice directly after the show. We hope you enjoyed our one thing series on how leaders can build resilience as a key quality necessary to navigate the difficult terrain of leadership. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me.